Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. Who are we? What do we do? Well, we are the self-proclaimed preeminent number one podcast, and we talk about the American Wrestling Association. And if you're watching us on the YouTube, then that means you are going to get an added bonus of pictures that we put up periodically throughout the course of the program. If you're listening via, you know, Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcast, whatever they're calling it nowadays, well, you're going to get the audio version, but you're still going to get the cool stories. But you're not going to get the stories from me. I'm Chris Tubbs. I am just, uh, I'm a guy that doesn't know, right? Two guys that also don't know, Mick Karch and Polish Joe Chupik. Oh, shit, I screwed that up. Um, okay, what? Three, two, one. So two guys that do know are Mick Karch and Polish Joe Chupik. We can edit that. Wow. I I think you should have stuck with the original statement. We don't know shit. But you know what? We we are good at kayfabing. I mean, we we definitely portray the image that we have some degree of a clue what we're talking about. Kayfabe is dead. Kayfabe is dead. We are Zerk. Yep. But you (laughs) know what? (laughs) Nizo Shizit is a (laughs) Gizimic. We count on the fans. Yes. Point out when we've made a mistake. And God love them. We know there's a handful that just get orgasmic at the opportunity to do that. <laughs> Their fingers are so tired from all the pointing at us. That's right. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> and in the meantime, we can just be the major league of EWA podcasts. There damn, you go. Damn right. Well, we're happy to have you guys aboard. We like to have some fun. We It's Life is short. Life is meant to be enjoyed. We've said it before. And this is one of the things that we enjoy is talking about the AWA. And this is one of those special shows that we're going to be talking about the questions that you guys want answered. And sometimes we don't get to all of them in the course of a show. So we have to you know, roll some over and we'll eventually get to them. And, and hopefully we get to some today that have been sitting there in the queue for a while. If not, just sit tight. We're going to get to some more. So we're going to do that. But before we do, guys, uh, you see the logo up in the upper right-hand corner. That is for 7th Avenue Pizza. And there's a reason why you see me from the neck up because the rest of me, is, uh, as I like to say, it's body by pizza. And the pizza that fuels this body is 7th Avenue Pizza. And you can check it out. It's a Joe Chupik. Nice nipples. Thank you. Is it cold? Is it cold over there? Well, I did have to shut the uh, did have to shut the windows, and it's seventy degrees with the air conditioner, so <laughs> not as cold as your place. But you know, n- none. We need some. You know what? Never mind. That's for uh, an after. Dark. That's for an after dark. But if you love pizza, SeventhAvenuePizza.com. We're in the middle of summer, you guys. I love to grill, and I put my pizzas on the grill. Uh, absolutely fantastic. The meatball and pepperoni is. Uh, is great. The Lucky 7, they've got a brand new breakfast pizza. Check it out all over the Twin Cities. Or if you don't have it in your area, I know that we have people that are listening outside of the Twin Cities metro area. Uh, Let me know. It's absolutely great stuff. And if you want to rep the AWA Unleashed Army, which is what we're calling ourselves, I love it. Well, we're not calling us, calling you guys. It's a fun little gizimic. If you want your own uh, gimmick with the AWA Unleashed T-shirt, which, by the way, I've got several of. Joe's got some. Mick's got some. Uh, uh, SodastickCO.com backslash AWA Unleashed. Use promo code Unleashed for 15% off. And I'm going to put a fun little logo up there. You see that right there? Uh, SodastickCO.com. Did we take care of business, guys? We did. All right. It's bell time. Yes, it is. So... These are always the fun ones, guys. And I know, Mick, I know you particularly like these because these are a very, they're a very broad ranging show. And we really don't know where this is going to lead because we don't know really what the questions are asked. We, we can see them when they're lined up. But as for the answers, these could go multiple different ways. I love it. This is my favorite you know, my favorite type of podcast that we do because we're, we're answering questions that people normally, you know, are not going to answer. And Chris, you and I were talking uh, before we uh, went on the air here today, 
the 1960s AWA wrestlers, the mainstay guys, I, you know, I added them up, the ones that are still with us. And it was like seven or eight uh, that are, that have survived from the 1960s. And that, that was a hell of an era yeah. in wrestling. So if we don't talk about those legends, nobody's going to talk about them. They're going to be forgotten and they are a part of history and a great legacy. And we're going to keep them alive. And that's why a show like this, I, I feel, is important, Joe, because we only have, we have a short time left to, you know, really honor and, and give these people the, the dap that they deserve while they're still around. Well, I, when you say that we only have a short time, I hope that there's something I don't know that you know about, uh, <laughs> about our help. But as far as I know, uh, let's, we, we will continue to bring the stories. We will continue to answer your questions. And I'm sure we will continue to even have a date or a time frame wrong. Mm -hmm. But we are here, as you said, to have fun, to kick up the dust on a bunch of the old stories, to uncover stories that... No, I may have forgotten about Mick. Well, Mick forgetting stuff is pretty on par for things, but boom, boom. There's a lot of things I wish I could forget. Um, like the first five minutes of this? About 37 years ago, but, you know, hey, I, I digress. But no, <laughs> you know, we're, we're keeping the AWA alive. Yeah. And if, if what we do brings some joy to the fans of the old AWA Holly, maybe even some of the fans who never saw the AWA. Come on in, tune in, go on YouTube, listen to us and hear the stories of what I think the three of us consider to be the best wrestling organization that ever was. Yes. That is uh, that is correct. And one more thing, guys, you can see the uh, the bottom. If you want to help us expand, continue to grow, subscribe, rate, review, YouTube, subscribe. That's probably the biggest growth that we've got right now. Uh, go to YouTube, just hit the subscribe button. Super duper easy. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, you know, we, we've had the fun with that, but we're going to kick off one for you here, Joe, from Gordy Ersfeld. Kind of an off-the-wall question, but when you were working in the production ends of things for the AWA, were you an independent contractor or were you an AWA employee? And who signed the checks? <laughs> and were they rubber? <laughs> well, the, despite what Karch says, uh, the Vern's checks were good. Um, Gordy, thanks for the question. So I actually started for the first month as an employee of the AWA. Uh, it was then that Vern came in and talked to me and convinced me to switch over to be an independent contractor. And I came to learn that Vern just didn't want to pay the payroll taxes and have employees on his payroll. Everybody, with the exception of, I think, uh, maybe an office person or two, everybody was an independent contractor. The funny thing about that is it was years later when Vern was going through his bankruptcy where he had made the comment to me about Social Security and how he wasn't really going to be able to take advantage of it because he did pretty much everything. Uh, shall we just call it creative accounting? And so I, uh, based on that, I guess I, in hindsight, I should have been an employee as well, but it, it really didn't matter. Uh, I was an employee of the AWA and for six years, I did the video production of when it was still a functioning AWA, although the last year of it uh, uh, could be questioned. Uh, last part of your question, as far as who signed it, uh, it was Vern or Greg. We had an accountant, Pat Saba, who is actually a cousin of Greg Gagne. And Pat, uh, Pat kept, she took care of the books for Vern. And uh, depending on who was on the road, it was either Vern or Greg that signed them and uh, never had one bounce, thankfully. All right. I, I was I was waiting for it, but I'm I'm glad that you could kind of tell us about that. 
Uh, for Mick, did Vern book the wrestlers in different hotels on the road to protect kayfabe? When I would go to the uh, Milwaukee, Chicago, Green Bay events, and the guys would stay at the Air Host in Chicago, or they would stay at the Downtowner in Milwaukee, or you know, out at Nino's uh, Steak Roundup, whatever. Um, kayfabe was pretty protected. Um, when I would watch the wrestlers kind of interact to an extent they were interacting, maybe it was with a nod or a wink uh, back in the day, if, or they would be passing in the hallway. Uh, they weren't booked at different places, different hotels, unless a guy requested it, you know, for some specific reason, proximity to the airport or whatever it was. But I know that Vern was very heavy into protecting the business. And, you know, fast forward to the 80s, Going out to the Marriott and watching the WWF guys in town, everybody's fraternizing with everybody else. So, you know, kayfabe was certainly dead. But no, back in the day, it, uh, if Don Jardine, Super Destroyer, is on one end of the room and Larry Henning is on the other end, they're staying there. They're not interacting if they're having a feud. That's interesting that you said back in the 80s because I, I don't – back in the 80s to me, I'm, I mean, I was, you know, nary a pup still – but kayfabe, you saw guys mingling then, like, yeah. Because because when, when I think of the whole you know breaking of, of kayfabe and you know kind of exposing the business, I don't think of that till maybe the early two thousands. Uh, kayfabe was actually broken uh, way way before the two thousands. You know, well, I mean, I know there was the the thing with you know uh, was it Duggan and Sheik. I mean, I know that, but I mean. Well, like yeah, the I mean, hotel thing. Yeah, Duggan, Duggan and Sheik, I mean, it, it, as far as, yeah, I mean, that was kind of like, oh, you know, you got this national worldwide feud going on, and, you know, you're trying to present at least a modicum of a storyline, and here, you you know, the guys get pulled over, you know, and, and they're riding together to the next town. Uh, but as far as at the hotels, at least in the 70s, what I saw was pretty strict kayfabe. And you know what's funny, what I find funny about that? Uh, I'm old school. I wish kayfabe still existed so that you still had that momentary lapse of uh, reason as to whether or not professional wrestling was real or not. But what's interesting is kayfabe or the breaking of it didn't kill the sport. It killed it the way that we knew it. And actually, let me rephrase that. It did, it did kill the sport, but it brought about sports entertainment right good point All right, just there, put it, there there i am no I, I was just back there and i was getting something else ready for it uh from uh from len pink you guys mentioned dino bravo and the jerry blackwell body slam challenge uh he remembers dino went to wwf as a heel whatever happened to him dino bravo uh unfortunately um Dino was a babyface here in the AWA, big, strong guy. We've talked about him before uh, from Canada. Uh, Dino, unfortunately, got involved in some stuff that he probably shouldn't have. No, probably about it. Um, he was, There's Dino as a heel when he went to the WWF. Uh, Dino Bravo got involved in some kind of a black market cigarette tobacco situation. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a, a, a an illegal cigarette cartel. Yeah, and it didn't end well for Dino. Uh, he was watching television in his house, and uh, some uh, people who were not exactly fans of what Dino was doing at the time uh, went in and shot and killed him uh, with his family in the next room. So, unfortunately, things did not uh, end very well for Dino Bravo, but... You know, uh, a hell of an ending, actually. Uh, I like Dino Bravo better as a heel, as a matter of fact, than I did as a uh, baby face. But uh, nonetheless, to answer the question, uh, that was a, a sad and tragic ending for Dino Bravo. But, you know, I guess you get your hands in some stuff, uh, you know, where they shouldn't yeah. be. And, you know, the people that you're fraternizing with aren't always the most savory characters. And that's what happened. Yeah, Dino is, uh, to me, a testament of, or a good example of somebody that was better as a heel because, as I've stated before, it's a lot tougher to be over 
as a baby face mm-hmm. than it is to get over as a heel. It's easy to get somebody to hate you. Just yeah. be a total prick, bitch, asshole. But being a baby face really takes a little bit more talent. And for Dino, yeah, definitely heel. Definitely. I don't ever remember Dino as a baby face. I, I missed that run here. I My first memories of Dino were with Frenchie Martin in the WWF. Sure. Uh, how was he as a baby face? He was uh, kind of milk toast. His promos were not very good. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't like to say that Rick Martel's promos were bad. Um, they were also kind of bland in the scheme of things. But compared to Dino Bravo, I mean, Martel occasionally would show some fire. Mm-hmm. I don't recall that happening with Dino Bravo. I think he had kind of monotone promos, even when he was in the midst of a feud. Uh, so definitely, you know, when he made that transition to uh, heel and WWF, that was career changing, no doubt. The right call. But, uh, let's get to this one from Barb uh, Sidelitz. Hopefully, Barb, I pronounced that name right. Uh, she lives in Waukesha, Wisconsin. One of the AWA TV wrestlers promotes very successful independent cards here in the Bruce City, uh, Bruce City Wrestling Company. Uh, Frankie DeFalco, such a character. Any chance of getting him on the show? I would love it. Uh, and I think character is the... That's the perfect perfect descriptor for Frankie DeFalco. I love Frankie. I've known him as Joe has going back to those AWA days. He has made Bruce City Wrestling, you know, a small promotion in the Waukesha, Wisconsin area, very, very successful. Uh, he's gotten into the ring himself within the last couple of years, uh, has Frankie. Uh, just a great guy, and he would have some stories. So I would love to reach out to him and get him on the podcast. Yeah, the when I think of Frankie, it, it, it's the little nickname that gets thrown in there that I love. Frankie the Thumper DeFalco. Look at him. There he is. There's, there's, there's Frankie. Gotta love that guy. And what you see, ladies and gentlemen, right there in that picture is Frankie DeFalco being Frankie DeFalco. Am I right on that, Joe? You are correct. Very yeah. nice guy. And you know what? He was somebody that I don't think he could have ever main evented in the AWA, but I could have seen him getting to mid mid yeah. card level. I mean, he had uh, he had a good personality about him in the ring. Uh, I don't recall ever cutting a promo with him or seeing a promo that he had done back in the day. Um, yeah, I think Frankie had it to be able to be a little bit more than a jobber in the business. Agreed. Let's get him on the show. I'll reach out to him. That sounds fun. Sounds good to me. We've also got uh, another one later on about another guest that people are are interested in. Uh, This is for all of us uh, from the crew, or for the crew, rather, from American Lucha. If you take Billy Robinson out of the equation, who else who never held the title would have made a good AWA champion back in the 70s? Hmm. So we're only talking about that decade. We're not talking about anything else. Just in the 70s. And who had never held the, the title at that time. Who correct? had never held it, yes. Okay. Uh, having looked at that question, my choice would have been Ivan Koloff. And the reason I say that is Ivan came here right after the Bruno Sammartino championship situation in Madison Square Garden, which, of course, at the time was, you know, earth-shattering news and one of the big upsets in, in pro wrestling history, I think it would have been ideal. Ivan comes here. He's under the management of, of Stan Crusher Kowalski. Stan had brought in another foreign menace, uh, Kobayashi, to challenge Vern Gagne in 1971 uh, unsuccessfully. So to me, this would have made a great transition. You bring in Ivan. He just beat Bruno Sammartino. Now he's going to beat Vern Gagne. I think the reason they probably didn't give Ivan the championship, and I don't know this for sure, is that Vern didn't want the WWF at the time uh, to look like a stronger promotion than the AWA. And, uh, you know, that may or may not have been the reason, but uh, I think Ivan Koloff would have been ideal. Nice pick. I'm going to go with uh, somebody who um, I'm going to put in a similar vein to Koloff because he had been here prior 
and um, wasn't around a ton later in the 70s especially, but I'm going to go with the American dream, Death the Rose. Oh. Um, you know, no denying his talent and his ability uh, on the mic, getting over either way as a baby face or a heel. I think Dusty would have made a great champion here as either a baby face or a heel, depending on what time frame in the 70s that we're talking about. But my pick, I'm going with the dream, Dusty Rhodes. Chris, who you got? I am going to take someone as well that made that transition, you know, baby face, heel, heel, baby face. Larry Hennig. Ah. I would have gone because, you know, when you look at it, and those were the days, guys, where the title is kind of like what Roman Reigns is doing now, where the Reigns were not just, you know, three, four, five months. Like, you know, didn't Vern hold the title for like 2,600 days or something? I mean, it was just like seven, eight years. Right. Uh, it, It meant something. And I feel like, you could go either way at that point because you, you need to have a champion that it's the story's got to have some longevity, whether you're, you know, a, a, you know, a baby face chasing or you're a heel that's got it I, I, to, to me. And I'm looking at it retroactively, so I can't go back, you know, kind of like you guys can, and you know, place a certain person in a certain spot, but I can just go back and, you know, based on what I know of the roster, and you know Vern having it, and didn't wasn't it like uh, uh, Nick in like God who who wasn't seventy five or seventy six? Was, Nick. It, was, was it Nick? Nick? Oh, yeah. Okay, it was Nick in seventy five. And you know to your point about Larry Hennig, you know Larry turned babyface in seventy four. Yeah, uh, he could have been a heel champion prior to that, but when he turned babyface, he was so red hot. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, you know, he was feuding with the Bachwinkles and the Stevens. And well, guys. the whole way that it happened, I mean, it was it was a very relatable thing for people as to how he turned babyface. Absolutely. I, Larry was red hot. And we've talked about how in the scheme of things, I think Larry is really underrated. He's on the Mount Rushmore of the AWA. He should be. Um, you know, they always put Larry in a tag team situation, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was Harley Race or Lars Anderson or. Joe LaDuke, you know, in the 70s, Larry was always kind of a tag team guy. And then, of course, with Kurt down the road, but he was a great singles wrestler. I saw him wrestle Nick in championship matches around the horn, and they were all great matches. So good pick, both you guys. Good call. I like the pick of uh, of Larry, but I, I whenever I hear Larry in the AWA and not maybe getting – his full just desserts, and we've brought it up before. There was a legitimate animosity between yeah. Vern mm-hmm. and Larry. They genuinely didn't get along. They got along just well enough for Larry to be in the AWA and then obviously Kurt coming in and so forth. So they kept it all business, but yep. there was a personal dislike mm-hmm. between the two of them. Yep. We have time for a couple more, Chris, just real quick. Yeah, yeah. If you if you got a couple more, I mean, by all means, Bogart the question. <laughs> I am going to just throw in two guys. Um, Barry I thought we were only uh, supposed to do one, but okay. All right, Joe, you get, you get more. You get more. Okay. Barry, well, you can take the last, uh, add another one if uh, you'd like, but I'm going to go with Baron Von Roschke and then another guy who I guess – sort of fits in the question, but could be an asterisk, and that's Stan the Lariat Hansen. He came about in the uh, late 70s into the AWA, and then fast forward to December 29th of 85, and he did become the AWA champion. But Baron, uh, one of the most hated guys in the early 70s, for sure, with uh, his partner Horst Hoffman, his tag team, uh, Horst left, and Baron was... Uh, pretty much left to his own and Baron got a couple of tag team championships, at least one with the crusher in there that I can uh, recall, but Hanson and uh, Baron, I think uh, could have been two outlier picks for uh, AWA champion during the seventies. Good stuff. All right, let's go to the, uh, the next one here, guys. Uh, this one is for me. 
uh, from Terrence Gale. Even though I was a latecomer to the AWA, what was my favorite AWA match? Uh, I'd have to say at the time I hated Larry Zabisco. So pretty much anything that Larry Zabisco did in the, you know, maybe what, 89, 90-ish maybe, uh, you know, whether it was just, I enjoyed watching Larry, whatever he did, because he was just so easy to hate. And I thought he was pretty, I mean, I, I thought he was pretty good. Like when he was in the ring, um, didn't he take on, uh, I think, didn't he have a, a couple with Nick? Didn't I'm trying, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head here. Uh, I'm well, yeah, to- I mean, Larry, Larry uh, is the one who turned Nick babyface. Yeah, yeah. You know, with the, with the whole nunchuck situation uh, on TV. And, uh, you know, Larry, then he had a feud with Sergeant Slaughter, mm-hmm. you know, for a long time for the America's championship. Um, I, I can, un- Larry did his job very, very well. Yes, he did. And uh, so I, I could certainly understand. Yeah. I don't know if he had a standout match, Chris, but I, I think I know yeah. what you're saying on the overall. Yeah, I, I think because I can I can go back and look at things and say, hey, you know, I I I would like to see some of these, you know, classics in the, you know, the '80s and whatnot. But I'd be lying to say if those are my favorite matches because I mean I saw I know you got you know the the silly gimmick matches the football matches the you know all of these silly you know goofy ones the team challenge series that I enjoyed as a kid I know that it's you know not looked at fondly by a lot of AWA fans but that was what I saw so I wanted things that I could get invested in and things that I remember so it was just it was just pretty much anything that Larry Zabisco did because it was it was just so easy to remember and I just remember it was that that hooked me as a kid. So not any particular matches, uh, but I would have to say overall just watching Larry Zabisco and, and now having an appreciation for just exactly how he went about his business. There you go. You know, Chris, I, I got to say, I actually agree with you on one point of that. And that is that Larry, Larry had memorable matches, but nothing that would tell. I don't think I'd put anything in the top 50. Yeah. Or, but what Larry did, he did do extremely well. And that was piss everybody off when they watched his match. We would be in the truck and it would be okay. Let, Pick a time. You know, we, uh, if we're doing a taping at the showboat, Larry, uh, we'd do three weeks at a time. Larry would probably be on for two of the tapings. And before the matches in the truck, we would state, okay, we got Zabisco in the first one. What are we <laughs> going to do for the over-under for the time before he actually locked up? And the yeah. time started not from when the bell rang, but from when he got up onto the ring apron. (laughs) It it, it was a little bit more of a challenge because sometimes it'd be, the the match would start, it'd be four minutes of an entrance for Larian before he would actually go into his first lockup. Yes. Again, he did it well because, as you stated, you hated Larry, but (laughs) you liked him because it was memorable. So in other words, mission accomplished. Yeah, and I, I'm, and again, guys, I'm looking at this as I'm like a 14, 15 year old kid. I'm, I'm not an adult. I'm not somebody that's a. Hold on, I, I still am, by the way. That's that's true. That's true. So you know, before anybody's like, "What the fuck? That's fucking stupid." Yeah, I was a kid at that point. Okay, like I, when the AWA went out of business, I had just got my driver's license. Okay, so this is all this. This is me. I, Again, I, I, yeah, I, before one, anybody one, gets on me. One last thought about Larry Zabisco, and then let's yes. move on. Uh, like Joe said, nothing memorable, top 50. Yeah. But you remember Larry Zabisco because of how he pissed you off and his feud yes. with Scott Ledoux, you know, who everybody yes. in Minnesota loved. Yes, absolutely. 100%. You know, that. You know, and then you got a boxer wrestler situation. You're not going to have a five star match by any means, but it was so red hot because of Larry Zabisco. So thank you, Larry. 
We appreciate yeah. you, buddy. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, I know that wasn't on uh, uh, who had Terrence Gale. I, I, that wasn't anything towards Terrence. I'm just trying to, you know, I've got, I've got a smaller reference than most people. Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, for you, Mick, from Len Sterling and Bruce Letsky, uh, heard you mention the notorious air host in Chicago, which Bobby Heenan said had hot and cold running rats. Right. I I did not I did I, yeah I did I did not read that beforehand. I was gonna yeah. say okay, hot and cold running rats. Do you have any strange stories from one of the after parties there? The after parties at the air host were really classic. Uh, if I remember correctly, they had a uh, they had a pool table, kind of a little billiard room in the back. Uh, the boys would be imbibing out front. One particular incident, if, if you got the stomach for this, big bad Bobby Duncan. Uh, Bobby, where is he? Where is Bobby? There he is. There's old uh, Texas Bob. Uh, Bobby was playing pool with somebody in the back, and there were a couple of interested female fans watching the proceedings. You know, we won't denigrate them by calling them the ring rats or whatever they were fans they were female fans and one was particularly interested in bobby dunkel and bobby's you know swigging a bottle of beer and you know while he's playing pool what have you and i turned away for a second and then i i turned back and this this lady is saying to bobby hey can i have a drink of your beer you know big boy or whatever yeah sure go ahead you know bobby the texas draw she takes a swig of the beer and then boo, boo, and goes running out. Bobby had been using the beer bottle as his tobacco chew spit jar. And uh, <laughs> so he yeah, when she asked if she could take a swig of his of his beer, he he obliged kindly. And uh, interestingly enough, I didn't see her for the rest of the night. That was just a, a microcosm of what went on at the air host in Chicago. Hot and cold running rats, minus four-star hotel. I think it's safe to say that when the opportunity presented itself, the boys would rib anyone. Anyone. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Professional wrestlers are grown-up teenagers. Grown-up in the body, but not in the mind. Have another swig. <laughs> uh, this one is for you, Joe, from Tina Malquist. She's a big fan of lady wrestling. You had a chance to produce interviews with Sherry Martel and Medusa. Who was easier to work with? Let me start by saying neither were difficult and both were a pleasure to work with. But if I had to pick one, I would have to say Sherry was easier only because Sherry was already, she'd already been in the business for a while when I started in 85. And Medusa was just starting. And so early on, uh, like it is for a lot of the wrestlers, a lot of the talent, they are just not comfortable doing a promo. Uh, It takes time for them to get comfortable and and looking that that looking in the lens with the red light on and you know the lights and so forth um in fact side note on that take a look at early sean michaels interviews sean was not the rockers were not a good interview medusa obviously came around she was willing to listen to direction and to take tips on where to stand and how to stand uh, during a promo. So both an absolute joy to work with, but I'm going to give the nod to Sherry just because uh, at that point, she was more of a pro than Medusa was in the early days of Medusa's career. You know, it's interesting, Joe, just to piggyback on that. If you think about who they were each managing at the time as well, Sherry is put with Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. They were long time. They were already 15, 20 year veterans in the business. Medusa, on the other hand, is with Nick Kaniski. She's with Kevin Kelly, guys that are fairly new to the business. So they're all green, mm. you know, so there was no real pro 
long-term pro to carry Medusa early on. So, uh, but both great ladies. God, I love them both. Yeah, very valid point there, Mick. Yeah, that's very interesting when you put it like that. I, I never would have thought about that because it is it, it it almost would have made sense to go the other way, right? To have yeah. Sherry with I I mean, yeah, that's I never thought about it that way, Mick. That's that's really interesting now that you're looking back at it and uh, in hindsight. Uh, this one is for me from Andy Bailey on a recent show. I was talking about watching the Team Challenge series and thinking it wasn't the wrestling I was used to seeing. What was my impression? Was it kind of goofy? Uh, yes. Yes, it was goofy. It was off the wall. It it was just, it, it was a weird like team gimmick where you did these crazy things to, to gain points. And, and, you know, right here, you can kind of see as we get, you know, Larry's legends, Baron's blitzers, Sarge's snipers, just the weird thing. And probably the, you know, the most famous thing was the Turkey on a pole match. I, I, I feel like this is one of those that I love Jake Mill, like, Jake Milliman, Jake the Milkman Milliman was one of my favorites growing up because I was always, he was my jobber. He was like the Kenny J and, and George Gadaski of, you know, of, of, you know, other people. I was always rooting for Jake Milliman. I, I mean, I just when, when Jake Milliman did anything, I was like, yeah, let's go. You know, I was team Milkman, but again, you look back on it you're like, oh my God, that was fucking stupid. But at the time, I, it was so different. Like, I didn't know what I was watching, but I knew that it was fun for me because it was so out of the box. And I like things that are unique. I like things that are new. Looking back on it, and I figure, you know, you guys tell me, you know, why it was this way. It makes me sad. But again, being a 14, 15-year-old kid, I happen to think, yeah, it was goofy. It was silly, but it was different. And I enjoyed it. A couple of things real quick uh, about the Team Challenge Series. I can, I can get you out of here, Joe, if you want to take a break while we're talking about the Team, team Challenge Series. I, I think I have to go and stick my finger down my throat and hurl. But you know, No, okay. we'll do that for you right now just talking about it. Make sure that's um, the only place that finger goes. The, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Team Challenge Series, we said in theory it was great. But when you're having fried chicken eating contests, and turkey on a pole, and who could take the biggest shit, or whatever it was, you know, to earn points for your team, yeah. uh, then you've kind of, you know, gone out of the realm a little bit. As far as Jake Milliman is concerned, I agree with you 100%. And I remember distinctly a match that Jake had on TV with Nick Bockwinkle. And Nick is in the corner, and Jake is going to do a running dive in the corner. Something happened where it backfired on him, and Jake landed right on his head. I mean, directly pinpoint on his head. And Jake didn't have much of a neck anyway. And I remember Roger Kent saying, Nick doesn't have to pile drive Jake Milliman. He'll do it himself. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, God love Jake and, and yeah, Chupik. We're going to do a, an entire show on the Team Challenge Series, and we are holding you responsible. Excuse me. I, I, I think your cat was here, and I had a fur ball. Good, good deal. Yeah, <laughs> good, yeah, yeah. Good I, for I you. Before, I mean, you, you touched on it briefly. The team—I didn't mind the team challenge series as a whole, only because of where the AWA was at. Yeah, you, you had to try something drastic, right? right. I mean, you, you, you had to try something else against the wall. Yeah. If it would stick. Well, unfortunately, what they're throwing against the wall, it wasn't shit, but it was the fake shit. And it just kept bouncing back and hitting them in the face. And miraculously, as it rebounded, it transformed into real shit and went all over the AWA. Uh, wow. So enough about the Team Challenge series. Um, not the AWA's best days, to say the least. Oh, we're doing a full show on the Team Challenge series. Oh, again. I think I'm sick that week. I'm putting it over massively <laughs> because, again, I, I I feel bad. Like you guys are talking about the, like the really good stuff, like you know, Crusher and Bruiser and Vern and Nick, and I'm like Team Challenge series. That's my More that's power that, to you. That, that's that's my time. But there are a lot of people that I that are also in my age group, so Absolutely. I'm sure they you know they feel the same way. 
Uh, yeah. Speaking of bad gimmicks here, Mick, for you from Corey Swadell, what was the worst gimmick match or as uh, they say, gizimic match you ever saw? I've never been a fan of blindfold matches. Um, Especially when I, they can see through the blindfold. Absolutely. And that's the whole thing. You know, there's suspension of disbelief and then there's suspension of being a human being with a, any lick of sense at all. And uh, I recall there was a feud in the early 80s, I think 1982-ish, between Baron Von Raschke and Sergeant Jacques Goulet. And they were uh, they were kind of taking it not only in the AWA, but also in the WWA and uh, Bruce's promotion. There, there is the late, great Sergeant Jacques René Goulet. And they had one of these matches, and it was called a French Foreign Legion match. Now... Uh, I didn't know that they did this type of match in the deserts of the region, um, but apparently they do. There he is. There's Barry. He even got a even got an autograph. You YouTube subscribers, um, <laughs> uh, but again, Chris, it was the idea was yeah, we're gonna put blindfolds on these guys. It was more of a hood than yeah. it was a blindfold, kind of a hangman. <laughs> can't can't do that nowadays. Oh, uh, absolutely not. But, but it, was, it was like so ludicrous because for 15 agonizing minutes, they're going around and they're swinging at air and then they're bumping into each other by mistake and then they're tripping over each other. There wasn't a lot of wrestling action in the match. So if you want to have any modicum of, hey, this is wrestling, they're really trying to hurt each other. This is a feud. Uh, that type of match just didn't do it for you. And like you said, clearly, you know, you, you, from the outside, it looks like they can't see. From the inside, they can see just fine where everybody's at. And I just hated those matches. Hated them. Chicken eating contest for me. Oh. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't even know that that's a gimmick match. It's just a brutal attempt at trying to fill airtime. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. I, I would go along with that. I think there's more realism to eating a piece of fried chicken than there is, you know, walking around a ring with a mask that you can see through. But well, at least you had people attempting to wrestle. And I guess, I mean, Mick, I've seen you eat. I've seen you attack and beat up some chickens before. But uh, it's hey, like I won't beat anybody up if they're not chicken. I <laughs> don't use my philosophy. If you're, you're going to fight a guy, you better be a chicken. Well, talking of, Let's yeah. get on to the next one. <laughs> no, speaking of filling time, I mean, hey, yeah, we got to. Uh, yeah. You know what we need to do is we need to have a blindfold chicken eating contest. Why? <laughs> Why not? Okay. All if right. We, if we can get Popeyes to sponsor it, I'm all in. Popeye, right. you know, who was owned, as we said before, by the transplant specialist, Dr. John Nigerian. Figure that out. Eat my chicken, <laughs> go into, you know, renal failure, and then I'll do a transplant for you. That's you know, I, I loved when I saw that they were going to be coming in for interview day after they got the franchise because they would always bring in bags and bags and bags of chicken and all of the fixings. Uh, when they would come in, first come in, it was amazing. Didn't matter if it was 10 o'clock in the morning or 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It was lunch because the Nigerians were here with Popeye's chicken. That's great. That is really great, Gordon Ramsay. Can we get to the next? Uh... <laughs> oh, my next, God. That's related question. Yeah, well, let's... Um... I'm, I'm going to skip this one. I, I got a couple more, guys. Uh, here's one from Brett Williams. Uh, we're going to go down to 15 here. Do you guys know the reasoning behind the finish between the Hennig Hall versus Rose Summers with the count-out title switch? It was never explained on TV in any way. You know, the, the three of us discussed this before we went on the air, and I, I got to plead somewhat ignorance to this. I don't remember unless there was this particular stipulation in the AWA that a title could not change hands on a count out. 
Um, I know that they always said, you know, a title couldn't change hands on a disqualification. Uh, that was one thing. But, I, you know, unless I miss something, I don't remember them saying, you know, this match, if you're counted out, you know, on the floor, you can't lose the championship. So that's always been a question that keeps coming up. Why did the AWA allow that? Joe, I mean, you, you know, you're doing production and everything. I can't explain this one. Well, and I'm sort of with you, but here's the, here's the thing where I think I'm going to disagree with you slightly on that. If you look at when they did a, a no disqualification championship match, it would always be no count outs, right. no disqualifications, you know, and, and, and so it was always added in as a special part of this amped up championship match. Now, why did this happen in this one? I never got the answer for that. Uh, let's see. This would have been, I believe, 86. 86, yeah. When, when, when this took place. Um, I, I mean, the whole angle, we had De Beers interfering, uh, and, and that's what kept Scott Hall from getting back into the ring, and then that set up the whole feud between De Beers and, uh, and, and Scott Hall. The only thing that I could think of or surmise at the time is that they wanted Hall and Henning to be singles wrestlers and to try to push Scott Hall to be more of the Hulk Hogan replacement, albeit you know a couple of years after the fact. Vern would always compare Scott Hall to Hulk Hogan in size and so forth, but. Um, yeah, Scott is a baby face, as we as I alluded to earlier. He couldn't cut a good promo as a baby face of his life depended on it. But back to this, as I digress, as I've been known to do. No real rhyme or reason for it. Rose and Summers, along with Sherry, they got the belts, and they had a, a hell of a run. And uh, Hall and Henning went on to uh, singles stardom, and Kurt ended up winning the AWA Tag Team Championship. So my guess is just a way to skirt the typical rules. It, it wouldn't be the first time that the AWA did something and came up with a decision in a championship match mm -hmm. that was controversial without explanation or, or what have you. But uh, again, to your point, Joe, I know in one fall to a finish matches, they would do that. You know, they would say no time limit, no disqualification, no count out. But in this particular match, it was a standard wrestling match. So I would think that that you can lose the title on a count out was still in effect. But who knows? Brother, you know, in the, the main reason, the main reason that they did it, because they could. There you go. There you go. Yep. And it almost seems like, guys, there wasn't any thought that was put into it. It's like you're making a decision and you don't realize how it looks on TV, whether it's produced or like maybe fans aren't supposed to follow the continuity. Is that, I, am I, I am I off base with that? No, no, you're, you're spot on. I, I think that they just did it and nobody was doing what we're doing right now, analyzing it. I don't think a lot of people at the time said, how come you lost the title on a count out? I don't think it was ever, you know, a major controversy. Yeah. Like Joe said, they did it because they could do it. And like you said, Chris, uh, Nobody was paying attention to the continuity. All right, let's uh, go ahead and wrap it up. I know we got a couple more questions. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, and roll those over to the to the next one. Uh, let's give some shout outs, guys, and then let's take it home. So, uh, what do you got, Mick? I have uh, Vic Shenberg, uh, great great fan, follows us all the time. I asked Vic uh, via text message. I said, do you ever miss our podcast? He said, the only time I miss your podcast is if I'm dead tired after work and I fall asleep and, you know, then I'll get caught up later on. But great guy, Fort Wayne, Indiana. So and, uh, it puts him to sleep. Is that what he said? On No, no. Uh, I, I think probably about a year ago he might have been put to sleep on occasion uh, watching the podcast, but, but nothing Nothing recent. Nothing lately. Okay, good, good. Yeah. We, we try to, yeah. we classed up the joint here. Okay. It's like going from Twitter to threads. 
<laughs> my shout out is going to go to a local ring announcer, all around good guy. I uh, had the pleasure to sit with him after some uh, uh, recent matches. We sat in a hotel lobby, had some pizza, and it was just the two of us for a while, and the other boys came in. Uh, but we were talking old AWA and just wrestling stories, as uh, tends to be the case. But my shout-out goes to Travis Sharp. Love him. Travis Great is a good dude. guy. Great guy. Travis, yeah, Travis, a good dude. Uh, I'm going to go to Ralph Harkey. I'm not sure if he's gotten a, a shout out before. I've never given him one. Always a, a big support of the podcast is always, you know, sometimes we need positive reinforcement and I like people telling me that I'm special. So I like it when Ralph Harkey says something nice about me in our podcast. So if you continue to say nice things, we'll continue to say nice things about you, but uh, no, all, all kidding aside, uh, Ralph Harkey, Big time supporter since day one, uh, you know, Facebook or YouTube, wherever. It, it's it's just, it's nice to have the fans that we've got. And we are growing continually. Uh, AWA Unleashed fans page on Facebook. And by the way, guys, uh, we're, uh, we're about a week and a half away from uh, going down to Waterloo. And we're going to be there. Like Mick and I, we're going to be there. Joe, I, I think you've got some work conflicts, but we'll hopefully you will be there. But we are going to be there. We are looking forward to hanging out with a bunch of friends. Uh, I, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. So if you're going to be there, let us know. Let us know on Facebook, you know, YouTube. Just, you know, let us know kind of, you know, let's all get together and have a great big party when we're down there. I think that's great. And, you know, listening to Troy Peterson, our good buddy, uh, with all due respect to Waterloo, you know, if you're in the vicinity of the where they're holding the event, there's not a lot to do. Uh, but everything is within walking distance, and it's so great, so laid back. And I know for a fact that Chris Tubbs, on his monumental salary, will be glad to buy drinks for everybody. Hello? You mean, you mean ice waters? Ice, ice waters? I, Ice waters, yes, correct. Ice waters without the ice and without the water. <laughs> Can they at least get a glass? <laughs>